0: please turn in your bibles to this morning's scripture hebrews chapter one verses one through four if you'd like to follow along in the pew bible you can find the passage on page one zero zero one please stand for the reading of god's word hebrews one beginning with verse one long ago at many times and in many ways god spoke He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Let's pray.
1: God, indeed, would you answer the prayer that we sang just moments ago? Would you cause our faith to rise, cause our eyes to see your majestic love and authority, to see your words of power that can never fail us, and let the truth of those words prevail over unbelief today. We pray in the name of our Savior. Amen. Today we begin a new sermon series, as you've already heard in the book of Hebrews, and I've entitled it Looking Forward in Faith. I believe that this book has much to teach us, and it's going to be a great journey through this book, both individually but also as a church, corporately. I think there is much to learn from this letter. Before we dive into the teaching contained in the book, I want to look at a few introductory things just to set it up a little bit in terms of background. The first thing to note about the book of Hebrews is that the author is unknown to us. There are many speculations about who it might be, who it could have been. Some have suggested Paul, others Barnabas, Apollos, Luke, Clement, and the list goes on. But the bottom line is we don't know. And we can't have any assurance of who the writer was. But based on the contents of the letter itself, we can know something about him. Something about the author. First, it's pretty clear that he was a Jewish convert, accepting Christ as Messiah. And had a working knowledge of the Jewish scriptures, what we would call the Old Testament. And Old Testament theology. He knew his audience personally. He longed to be with them again, he says in this letter, after an absence. The author was also acquainted with Paul's protege, Timothy, as we find out in the closing of the letter. So we could perhaps speculate that it was an inner circle that he knew a lot of the same people in the first century. There's some debate about the literary category of this book. It doesn't have all the hallmarks of a first century letter. There's no, as you just heard, there's no opening greeting or salutation to his audience. He just jumps right in into theology. But it does close with a benediction and greeting at the end. So perhaps it was indeed a letter. Some have suggested that it is a written-out sermon, that may have been addressed to a particular congregation or group of believers. I thought about just reading and preaching it to you today, but it's about an hour long as I understand it, so I decided not to do that. Well, the writer himself calls it an exhortation, and so that also gives credence to this idea that perhaps it's a sermon in written form. It is also not clear as to who the recipients were of the message were. We can tell that by the issues that are addressed in the letter, that they too were of Jewish descent and were converted Christians. This is not a letter to Gentiles, but rather a letter to converted Jews. And that this group of Jewish Christians were in danger of abandoning their newfound faith in Jesus and in following the way. They were in danger of returning to Judaism, the religion of their childhood, and of their ancestry. And apparently it was a real possibility due primarily to persecution that they were experiencing as followers of Jesus. We're not sure if that persecution was coming from the Jews themselves, the religious leaders of the day, or if it was coming from the Roman government. For Judaism was a, considered a legitimate religion in the Roman Empire. It was sanctioned. People were permitted to be Uh, Jews practicing religiously in that way. But Christianity was not. It was deemed a, a sect and as you know as time would go on persecution would even rise against Christians. The early church was in many respects a Jewish church. It only makes sense that the initial converts were coming out of Judaism. So this could be one of the reasons that this group of Jewish believers was considering returning back to where they had come from. Maybe they could have it both ways. Maybe it would be easier to go backwards. But the writer urges them to persevere in their newfound faith. And he argues from the scriptures, their own scriptures, the Old Testament, throughout the book, why they should keep their faith and persevere. Maintaining faith during difficult times of life is hard. It's hard to endure. It's hard to persevere in the hard times. But we must persevere to the end in Christ. We see various themes throughout this book coming out of this, even this opening part that we've read today. We see the importance of maintaining faith during difficult times, Persevering to the end, Jesus' supremacy over the angels and the prophets, his supremacy over Moses, their great prophet, over the sacrificial system, over all the traditions and religious rituals of the Old Covenant. Jesus is better, the author tells them, than all of these things. And not only is Jesus better, he is the reason they existed in the first place. He is the fulfillment of all of these things. They can't go backwards. It's not an option. For apart from Christ, there is no faithful keeping even of Judaism and the law. Jesus is the only way forward for these believers. And certainly, he is the only way forward for us as well. We follow a big God, and we are engaged in a big faith. God has made big promises to us in his word, and we can be sure of them. This is one of the messages in the book of Hebrews. We can have that assurance. And not only that, we can have the assurance that God exists as well. Faith, the writer tells us in chapter 11, in that famous chapter, is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Maybe you've heard it said that seeing is believing, or perhaps you know somebody who operates with the philosophy of, I'll believe it when I see it. Jesus' disciple, Thomas, you'll remember, wanted visual proof of Jesus' resurrection, before he was willing to believe the reports of it. But Hebrews teaches us that God operates on a much bigger scale than that. Faith in him isn't blind faith. It isn't wishful thinking or hoping for the best. Faith for the believer is rock solid and sure. And this is why we can persevere come what may, in our lives. We need this message today, don't we? Societal organizations that people have trusted in in the past, political parties, news outlets, educational institutions, seem to be losing their way and are on shaky ground at best. Even religious entities, churches, Pastors, whole denominations, they're crumbling around us, these man-made institutions. People are suspicious of one another. People fail us. We lose faith in them. It's really hard to exercise any kind of trust in this environment, isn't it? If we aren't careful, some of these attitudes can enter in and erode our faith in God. But God is not us. God is far superior, and Jesus is better than all of these temporary props that we have. You know, I think it's true that we're, all of us, we're really never that far away from the temptation to throw in the towel and abandon our faith. And to be sure, Satan and his dominion are beating down on us with fears and doubts constantly. It's hard living in faith in a broken world while struggling against our own sin. But Jesus is better. He can be trusted. He should be the sole object of our faith anyway. And he is the only one who can sustain our faith and enable us to persevere. Of course everything else is going to let us down. But we already knew that. And so we must prepare ourselves by looking to Jesus, as we read in chapter 12, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Not by looking to ourselves and others for the strength that we need. And as we gain assurance and confidence in our faith, individually and as a body, as a church, we can look forward in faith to God who will expand and grow his kingdom among us. I'm very much looking forward to this series and I'm praying for St. Andrews. I'm praying for this church that God will enlarge our vision of faith, that he will lift our drooping hands and strengthen our weak knees for the task ahead. And that everyone here will persevere until Jesus comes again or until he calls us home. And that he will grow his kingdom through us in this place and around the world. So let's jump in, shall we? The first four verses of chapter 1 form the first paragraph of the book. And we're going to spend two weeks exploring these opening verses 1 through 4. This passage serves as a a prologue, if you will, of the whole book. It sets the foundation. He sort of gets out there exactly what he's going to be talking about and what the whole of the book and the essence of it are. In these brief verses, he identifies at least eight aspects of who Jesus is. Jesus is the great prophet of God. He is the heir of all things. Jesus is the creator of the world. He is the radiance of God's glory. He is the imprint of God's very nature. Jesus is the upholder of all things. Jesus is the great high priest. And Jesus is the king of heaven. We're going to look at a few of these today and then some of them next week as we wrap up this section. The title of today's message is God Has Spoken. We sang it earlier in our service, these opening verses, that he has spoken through his prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us through his Son. Jesus is God's great prophet. We see initially a contrasting of God's revelation to mankind, because we learn in these opening verses that it was long ago that God spoke by the prophet's To our fathers. And then, in a parallel idea, right away he says, But in these last days, God has spoken by his son to us. God spoke his word by the prophets. That little preposition, by, could be translated a number of different ways. Some translations have the word through there, but it could also be in. God has spoken in his prophets. This would give us the sense that the Holy Spirit spoke through them God's divine revelation. As we know, all scripture is inspired, both testaments. It is God-breathed. These weren't merely the words of men, but they're the very word of God being spoken and written by men who were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And a point is made that they spoke in many ways, And in many times. But there's not a parallel for that part in terms of Jesus. In the Old Testament, there were numerous prophets, and God spoke to them and through them in a wide variety of ways, some very unusual ways. Some were given visions, dreams, angels, various. Symbols or natural phenomenon, pillars of fire, clouds of smoke. There was a huge variety of ways in which God spoke to and through the prophets and at various times throughout the centuries. But these prophets spoke a very limited message directed to the people of their day with a glimpse of the one great prophet to come. The final word from God that would be in Jesus Christ, his son. This is not to imply an inferiority of the words spoken by the prophets, not at all. They were speaking God's word as well. And while there is a contrast between their words and the many times and ways versus Jesus' singular and complete word, there's also a continuity between them. Jesus is the culmination and the completion of God's revelation to humanity you might remember on christmas eve it's our habit to often read as our call to worship the familiar words of john chapter one there jesus is identified as the word the logos is the greek word for that this is what we celebrate at christmas the word of god becoming flesh The phrase, in these last days, refers to the Messianic age, the age of Messiah, the time of Messiah's coming. We're still living in that time. We are still living in the last days, the time of the reign of Jesus from his throne in heaven. The writer is making the argument right at the outset to these weary saints who are ready to give up, that there is no going back to the days of the prophets because Jesus has come. It's a new day. A new day has been inaugurated by his coming, and God is speaking to the world through his very son, no longer veiled, no longer through the prophets, but through his very son. I mean, metaphorically, the genie's out of the bottle. The ship has sailed. There is no going back, and why would you want to go back anyway? We have the very word of God made flesh to draw upon in our lives. What a gift. The writer continues by giving several attributes of Jesus to reinforce his superiority to the prophets. And how he is a better word. We're told that God appointed Jesus first as the heir of all things. Everything that is God's by right, which of course is everything... Jesus, his only son, will be the heir to all of that. How glorious. What an astounding thought. In Psalm 2, we read these words from the mouth of God's Messiah. The Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession." This also brings to my mind the familiar quote from the Dutch politician and theologian Abraham Kuyper where he says, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Folks, the Father has secured everything. He has secured it all. For his son's inheritance. And by extension, for those of us who are in Christ, his bride. What an amazing truth. Jesus gets it all. It's all his. Next we read that Jesus is the creator of the world. This thought is not unique to Hebrews. You might remember that we saw this glorious truth... This summer, in that hymn in Colossians chapter 1, in our study, Jesus is More Than Enough. There the Apostle Paul tells us that for by him, Jesus Christ, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Paul leaves no stone unturned. There's there's nothing outside of that description. It all was created by Jesus and as we've just learned it's all his and all his inheritance. And again we see speaking of the one who is the word made flesh we read in the first chapter of John all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. Again a comprehensive statement a totality Jesus created it all. It's interesting to me that we're looking at a text that tells us that God has spoken to us, verbally spoken to us, in these last days through Jesus. And in the beginning, the creation was spoken into existence by the power of God. And Jesus was that word in the beginning. Do you know what? He also has the last word in the final verses of the last book of the Bible in Revelation. The end of time and the beginning of eternity. There we see the word, Jesus, declare that he is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. His final words in that day will bring either eternal blessing or eternal judgment. And his promise is that he is coming soon. We must be ready for the return of the eternal word of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Additionally, our passage before us says that Jesus, this is such a beautiful phrase, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature The idea here about being the radiance of the glory of God goes beyond simply being a reflection. When we think about our moon, which has been so pretty the last few nights, hasn't it? Shining up there in the sky. It doesn't produce light on its own. There is no source of light within the moon. It only reflects the light from the sun to us. But that's not what this is talking about. Jesus is much more than a reflection of God. He is the radiance of the glory of God. Think of it more in these terms. The light that we receive from the sun is the radiance of the sun. It is of the same substance. It is part of the sun. It is together. And this is Jesus in his radiance of the glory of God. He shines forth God's radiance To humanity and to the earth, they are of the same substance. He is very God, of very God, the Nicene Creed says. And while God is one in three persons, even as we've sung today Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, He is also three distinct persons. And this distinction is brought out with the next idea that we see here in our text, that Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature. He is distinct from God. The word here for imprint in the original language is the word used to describe stamping a coin or something with an image. You can almost imagine uh, when Jesus was speaking to the crowd and he held up the coin with Caesar's image on it, and said, Give unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. Caesar's image was imprinted. It was stamped upon the coinage, even as our own historical leaders are in our culture as well. Jesus is the imprint of the very essence of God. This is the miracle of the incarnation that we've been celebrating for the last month that God could reveal himself in his son and dwell with us, to be among us, for that imprint, to be here, to be human. It is an astounding reality. You might remember the story in the upper room on the night that Jesus was betrayed. He identified himself in this very way to Philip. Philip said to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father, and it'll be enough for us. And what was Jesus' reply? Have I been with you so long, you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Amen. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? Jesus, once and for all, settles the debate. He and the Father are one. He is the exact imprint Of the Father, and He is the radiance of the glory of God. Again, back to that Colossians hymn that we read earlier, it says, He is the image of the invisible God. In Him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. To know Jesus is to know God, and to look upon Jesus is to look upon the Father. What a gift to us. A little bit earlier this morning, we talked about some big ideas down in the Great Hall in terms of moving forward as a congregation, as a church. We were reminded that our mission statement is helping people joyfully know Jesus Christ, love him more, and serve him better. You can't help someone else to know Jesus if you don't know him yourself. Do you know that? Do you know the forgiveness of sins that Jesus offers in the gospel? Jesus came to die for sinners just like you and me. And if we confess our sins and receive him as he has offered in his word, we can know, we can know that we know that we have eternal life. A sure faith an assurance of that faith not because we're able to do that because but what he has done for us on the cross do you know the lord jesus today is he your lord and savior well as you know it's the season of new year's resolutions we want to do better right on some level, we have a desire for self-improvement. It may not last very long, but on some level, it's there, especially at the new year. Or maybe it's just a sense of guilt. I don't know. <clears throat> but it's a new year, and we have a sense that this is an opportunity for a new beginning. In these last days, God has spoken to us in his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So the obvious question to me is, are we listening? If God has spoken to us through his son, we must ask ourselves the question, are we listening? There are so many voices that come into our lives from the world, aren't there? and from inside. But are there any more important than the voice of the Lord Jesus? Is anything or anyone speaking into your life that is more important than Jesus speaking into your life? God has spoken clearly and directly to us by his son. And that message is contained here in his word, in the Holy Scriptures. So as we begin this series and look forward in faith to what God has in store for us and for St. Andrews in the coming months and in the coming year, let's commit afresh to listen to the word that God has spoken to us through his Son. Let's commit to knowing Jesus Christ, to loving him more and to serving him better, Determined to be faithful in your worship attendance. To hear from his word and to fellowship with him and his people. Those times when we come around his table and feed upon him. Make time to daily be in the word. To read his words of love to you. Is there any greater message than what's found in the scripture? And if you need some help with that, the church provides a reading plan. Let me encourage you to start there. Use our church's reading plan to read along in the Word of God this year with your brothers and sisters. You've had an insert today and an announcement about all of the growth class opportunities that are here. There's a great way to make application in listening to the voice of Jesus. Gather with your brothers and sisters and study His Word Study how he is speaking to you. Find an opportunity. There are a number of offerings on Sunday mornings and on Wednesday evenings and other days as well. And if we really believe this gospel that we talk about, how can we keep it to ourselves? Ask the Lord to give you opportunities to introduce someone to Jesus. Because Jesus is how God has spoken to us in these last days. Introduce someone to him. Invite them to church. Share the good news with them so that they can hear God speaking to them as well. So in this new year, and as we embark and begin this new series and this new study, take some initial steps of faith and obedience. Yes, rest in God's grace. Rest in his finished work for your salvation, but see if by operating in faith and obedience, if God doesn't surprise you by enlarging your faith even more. The Christian life is not a static one. Either you're moving forward in faith or you're moving backwards. There is no neutral. So collectively, as the body of Christ, let's... Come together in unity and look forward in faith, listening to the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, in the days ahead. In these last days, God has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these glorious truths that we have begun with today, looking to this one, to Jesus Christ, who displays your glory and shines the light of truth in our hearts. And so, Father, would you help us to exercise faith and obedience in our desire to seek you in all things reveal yourself to us in your word help us to hunger and thirst for righteousness give us a passion for the lost and for those that are around us who need you and help us lord in the coming days to be salt and light in our community and to grow in grace with one another with our brothers and sisters in unity as we look ahead in moving forward in faith. We pray in Christ's name.
0: Amen.